0: Okay, sweet, got your Bibles? Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And if you don't have one, open one up on your phone or um, you won't get in trouble for playing with your phone this morning. Just turn the sound down. And uh, I'll read the text to you at the same time here this morning. So let's pray and we'll get into God's word. Lord, we just thank you uh, that we can gather in the name of Jesus. It's fun to be outside to do something a little bit different and i thank you lord for each and every person here we thank you lord for your word this morning and we love your word lord because the written word leads us to jesus who is the living word and this morning jesus we want to be led to you and so lord we pray that your spirit would come and breathe life into the word of god that the power of god would be present to apply the word of God to our lives, and that our hearts would be turned towards Jesus this morning. And so, Jesus, we just begin by doing that in the attitude of our own hearts to say, Jesus, we long for you, we desire you this morning. We pray that you'd meet with us, and we pray that you would teach us from your word, and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, yeah, if you're joining us this morning, you haven't been around, we've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and uh, we're in the back half of Luke chapter 12 this morning, and this is a great text. It's all about the second coming of King Jesus. Are you looking forward to his second coming? I I called this message this morning, uh, are you ready? Are you ready? You know, anytime we preach and teach about Jesus' second coming, we're confronted with that question. It's like, am I ready for his coming? Is my heart prepared? Am I looking forward to it? As I was studying this week um, and preparing, you know, I got lots of different old preachers that I like to read, and one of the ones that I love is an old Anglican guy by the name of J.C. Ryle. He died in 1900, okay? So I was reading some of his old messages this week, And uh, I read something that he said that put me back on my heels. I just kind of had to pause and go, okay, I've got to just digest this a little bit and consider this a little bit. He was an outstanding Anglican minister and a lover of the Word of God, a preacher of the Word of God, and he said this, the true Christian should not only believe in Christ, should not only love Christ, He should also long for and look forward to the appearing of Christ Jesus. And if he cannot say in his heart, come Lord Jesus, there is something wrong with his soul. And I thought, wow, something wrong with my soul if I can't say come Lord Jesus. And I I just had to take a personal inventory. Jesus, in the first half of Luke chapter 12, as we looked at last week, spoke to the disciples about some of the dangers that we can come across on the road to the celestial city, on on the narrow path to towards the presence of the Lord in heaven. And Jesus warned the disciples that the greatest dangers uh, they could ever face was not things on the outside of them, but things that were going on the inside of their lives, on the inside of their own hearts. He warned them of hypocrisy, He warned them of the fear of man. He warned them of having greedy, covetous hearts. He warned them about worry and anxiety in this world. And Jesus taught the 12 that to overcome these dangers in this life, you have to fear God more than you fear man. And you have to love the things of heaven. You have to love the things of the kingdom of heaven more than you love the things of this earth. And so speaking to them about the dangers along the path, Jesus then turns the conversation and he begins to talk to them about his second coming in particular to turn their hearts towards thinking about future things. The Bible, when we look at the Bible, the Bible prophesies many things, but the next great event, we know this, that the scripture prophesies is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. Jesus came once born of a virgin crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb, resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He has been here once, and he promised that he will come again. 300 times the New Testament tells us that. Isn't that credible? 300 times we are told that Jesus will come again. On the night, the last night before he died, Jesus said, I will come again. And so the question for us when we consider his coming is always this, are we ready? Many people in our world have not heard about his first coming. They don't even know Jesus came the first time. Some people know strange rumors that Christians believe about Jesus coming again. But the reality is the vast majority of people are not watching for his coming. They're not looking for his coming. And Jesus taught that if we want to avoid the dangers along the narrow road, we have to get our eyes on the future. And in particular, we have to have hearts that are set and say, come, Lord Jesus. And if we'll get our focus there, what will happen is, is we'll get busy in this life doing the things that Jesus would have us do. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me again to Luke chapter 12. And let's read this verse 35. It says this. If he comes in the second watch, or in the third, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So Jesus says this to this crowd and to the twelve, Stay dressed and ready for action. The original language expresses this idea that you're to gird up your loins. It's like, pull up your pants, be ready to get to work. It's that idea, Jesus says, don't let your light go out. Keep your lamp burning. Be like a man that is waiting for his master to come home from the wedding feast so that you may open the door and welcome him. Jewish weddings historically took place in the evening and they could go long into the night. A servant would never know when his master, the bridegroom was going to return with his bride. So they needed to be ready so that should the bridegroom come home with his bride and appear with that shout, they would be ready to greet him. And so Jesus said, we should be busy doing the works, the things the Lord would have us to do. I would say working and watching and waiting, ready for the moment of His return. We want to be about the work that the Lord has given us to do. And Jesus says something shocking about this. He says that if He comes, or when He comes, and He finds us waiting for Him, He will dress Himself to serve us, which is an amazing thing. It's so strange, like, whoever heard of such a thing? Servants serve their master. The master is never expected to serve the servants. Who ever heard of such a thing? But Jesus says that if he finds us waiting for him, he will come and serve us. Masters don't do this. Masters don't do this with servants, but this is what Jesus does. And he says, blessed are the servants who are waiting for him at his return. He compared his return to the to the coming of a thief to rob a house. He said, obviously, if a homeowner knew the exact hour the thief was coming, he would ensure that he was ready to deal with the intruder in the situation. But the genius of a thief is this, the thief comes at an hour when the homeowner does not expect. And Jesus said, my coming will be in the same manner. So you have to be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect. Now look at verse 41. Peter hears these things and he asks this question. Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? It's interesting here, as is we're going to read in a minute that Jesus actually doesn't answer Peter's question. You ever ask the Lord questions and he doesn't give you an answer? (laughs) It happens to me. The Lord doesn't give Peter an answer. Jesus never clarified this teaching is for the disciples or this teaching is for the crowd. And what I will say is that Jesus, as we're about to read on here, he actually leaves no wiggle room for anyone. It doesn't matter if you consider yourself a disciple. It doesn't matter if you just consider yourself part of the crowd that's slightly interested in Jesus. Jesus never says this is for the disciples and this is for the crowd. What Jesus does is leave an expectation on both the disciple and the person who is just casually interested in the things of God. He leaves an expectation on both. And he paints this good, wonderful picture of reward when he comes and then he tells the story of what will happen to those who are not ready. So we get two sides of the coin that is coming. The, the good that will happen to those that are ready and what will happen to those who are not ready. Look at verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So Jesus says, for those that are found waiting at his coming, the Lord will do good things for the faithful and wise servant. He will bless them. They will be blessed That servant will be given greater responsibility, a different position. And Jesus, in fact, says that that servant will be set over all of his master's possessions. So there's reward. We read this here. It's so encouraging. It it motivates us to want to be ready for Jesus. We want to be those found working and waiting and ready. That's where we want to be found. But then Jesus flips to the other side of the conversation, the flip side, the other side of the coin, and let's read what he says here in verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more." So what does Jesus say? He says a thing that you're familiar with. When the boss is away, the kids play, you know. We've all been in that situation with the boss. I mean, I kind of like those days at work in the past when the boss is away. You know how that is. If you have hair, you kind of let it down a little bit. You can relax a little bit. You can take a deep breath. On that day, you can cut yourself a little bit of slack because the boss isn't looking. He's not breathing down your neck, looking over your shoulder. And you you can get away with a little bit of dogging when the boss isn't around. There are those who say, oh, the master has been away a long time. There's no need to be urgent. There's plenty of time to straighten things out. I could put my feet up for a little bit Uh, i'll have time to put things in order i've told this story before but i'll I'll tell it again I, i when i was 18 i house sat for these people for three weeks and while i was in their house for three weeks i did not clean up after myself once for three weeks i used every dish in that house and the night before they were coming home i thought to myself i will stay home and i will wash all the dishes and you know what i literally did i ordered pizza and I was in my pair of boxers because I had no other clean laundry, and I put my feet up. I sat in a Lazy Boy eating my piece of pizza, getting ready to get ready for the master to come home when I heard the garage door go up a day early. And in they came. I tell you, it's the most embarrassing moment of my life with someone. Human nature is such that people actually think this. I can live how I want. I can do what I want in this moment. There's plenty of time before Jesus comes. There's no danger. There is no sign of his coming. And Peter warned us in his last letter that in the last days there would be those who would say, where is his coming that he spoke of? People have waited a long time for Jesus to come and things have just continued on since the beginning of creation and nothing has changed. It's easy to say that. There's lots of times where we could just say, oh, I'm going to eat and drink and I'll put things in order with Jesus later. And Jesus is warning all who would hear him, don't abuse the time that I've given you. When the master comes and he finds his servant abusing, abusing his delay, When the master finds that things are not in order, he says this, the response from the master will be severe. So I read that, I'm like, whoa, I want to be ready. I mean, when we read this, we have to look into our own hearts, right? I can't look at your heart. You can't look at mine. We have to look into the attitudes of our own hearts. And that's this, am I ready for the coming of Jesus? Because when Jesus comes, he will judge the living and the dead, the living will be judged and the dead will be raised and they will be judged and no one escapes. And Jesus said two things about this. If you're taking notes, I'm going to, we don't have the, you know, an outline for you up on the screen, but there's two things Jesus says about this. The first one is this. He says, ignorance is not innocence. When Jesus comes, Nobody will be able to argue their innocence because they didn't know better. They were ignorant. It's like fishing. I was thinking about this. You know, if you went out fishing today, went out here into the strait, and and you just filled your boat with every fish that you could catch. Man, you hooked it, it stayed in the boat. You had link cod, all different sizes, you had rock cod and quillback and yellow eye and all sorts of salmon, and your boat was full that would be awesome you would love that but then when you came back into the marina and it just so happens that there's a fisheries officer there on the dock and he questions you and he discovers that your boat is full of undersized fish it's full of oversized fish there's species that aren't open to fish you kept fish that should have been released in that situation pleading innocence on the basis of ignorance, he's not going to take that. It's not going to work. Because when you fish in BC, you have a responsibility to know the regulations for yourself and to follow them. And Jesus says this, ignorance when it comes to my second coming will not equal innocence. No one will be able to say, I didn't know. I didn't know I wasn't working. I wasn't watching because... I didn't know. Jesus said, no, there'll be no excuse. The second thing he says is this, that those who have never heard the gospel will actually fare better than those who have heard it and rejected it. He says, if you know what's right and you do wrong anyways, you are going to be in far worse shape than the one who didn't know. I mean, let me use the fishing example again. A recreational fisherman goes out and in ignorance, he keeps all the illegal fish. Is he guilty? Yes, he's guilty, even though he didn't know better. But beside him, there's a commercial fisherman, a guy who knows all the rules. He knows all the regulations and he willfully goes out and keeps all the illegal fish. Is he guilty? Yes, he's guilty. He knew better. One fisherman didn't know better, and the other fisherman did know better and did it anyways. Both are guilty, but Jesus said this, the one who knew better will be judged more harshly. It's like uh, first-degree murder and manslaughter. Both are cases that wind up with someone dead, but they're judged differently based on the accidental nature of one and the premeditated nature of the other. Jesus said this elsewhere. He spoke of Capernaum and Chorazin and he said, for these cities, it will be worse than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah because they knew better the kingdom of God. They saw it and they didn't respond in repentance. I was thinking about this. It makes me think about our generation. In the history of the world, there is no generation that has had more access to the word of God and the preaching of the gospel. Do you realize that? No generation that has had more access to physical copies of God's word. No generation that has had the wonders of television and the internet like ours prior. Biblical resources available to our generation have no equal in history. I think about the last two years, every church using live stream, going online with the preaching of the gospel. The gospel has gone out into this world more in the last two years than it has in the thousands of years before this. There's no excuse for rejecting God. And there is no excuse for not watching for His coming. And how much more so for folks like you and I, people who gather with the people of God to be taught the Word of God and To worship Jesus, we know better. We're the commercial fishermen. And Jesus said, to everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. And then he goes on to say this, that to be ready for the Lord's return means that you're going to face hardships. Let's check this out. In particular, he says, it's going to affect your family. You're going to feel it probably first in your own household. Let's check this out. Verse 49. He said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three, they will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus said this, for me to do the job that my father has sent me to do, there is going to be suffering. I'm going to go through a baptism of suffering. We know this, he was referring to his death. He says, I've come to cast fire on the earth, which I think means there's going to be trouble associated with the message of Jesus. There is going to be trouble associated with preaching the gospel. There'll be strife, there'll be dissension. There will be the possibility of persecution. It's not a very peaceful thing to communicate to people that they are at enmity with God, but it's a wonderful thing to tell them that Jesus has made a way to clear that enmity. If you think preaching the gospel will bring peace to the world, you may want to consider what Jesus says here. Christ never said that the gospel would bring peace to the world. He said it would bring division. You can personally have peace with God and know the peace of God by being in relationship with Christ. Jesus said this to his disciples in another place. My peace I leave with you, but in this world you're going to have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. You personally can know the peace of Christ. But Jesus did not come to bring peace into the world. We're not going to usher in as his church some utopian era. We need Jesus to come again and put things in order. Jesus is the one who's going to set the world straight. In fact, if you come to Christ and and you want to get about working and watching and waiting for him, it's likely that you're going to experience strife in your own life, probably in your own family. Fathers against sons, mothers against daughters husbands against wives or in-laws and outlaws, whatever it is. You know, you say to your family, I'm waiting for Jesus. I'm longing for the coming of Jesus. And there'll be some sort of division in some sort of direction. Yeah. I even think about a household that's in agreement on the things of Jesus. Even in that kind of house, you have to be on guard because the enemy will come and seek to sow seeds of division to get you off track from working and watching and waiting for Jesus. I mean, the classic example is Sunday morning. I mean, we won't poll this morning, but I wonder how many couples had some sort of argument or disagreement on their way to church this morning. The enemy sowed seeds of strife, it's spiritual warfare because he hates the gathering of God's people and he'll do anything to stop them from participating in the worship of Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing to see a united family worshiping Jesus, but unfortunately, that isn't always the case. And it motivates us to pray. So we pray and we say, God, work in my family, work with my kids, work with my spouse. Jesus, we pray for salvations. So Jesus talks about strife and then he talks about signs. Look at verse 54. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say it once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, like today. And so it happens. Remember last year? Oh man. No, we got got cooked out here last year. (laughs) So verse 55, and when you see a south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? You know, the other day it rained, it was Thursday, and uh, my, my sister and Ben, they, they left yesterday, but Simon, I've been employing him to cut the grass over here while he's been here because missionary kid likes to make some bucks and put some money in his pocket. So I was happy to have him do it. I said, Simon, I need the long cut and ready for Sunday service. And uh, so I dropped him off over here and the rest of the family went off to do what we were doing. And all of a sudden, man, that thunder, did you hear it? And the rain began to come down. I thought, Oh, I better go get Simon. So I went came, picked up Simon. I got back to the house and I flipped open my weather app and it said, the rain is going to stop in seven minutes. And then in 20 minutes, it's going to start again. I thought, wow, I've never seen this on my app before. Have we got down to this that we can like predict to the minute how long the rain is going to go on? Things are getting pretty precise when it comes to being able to read and know the signs of the weather. Just open an app and it'll tell you. In ancient times, people relied on their ability to read the wind and the sky. We just get to open our phones. And Jesus said, it's hypocritical. Remember, hypocrisy is the leaven of the Pharisees. He said it's hypocritical to be able to read the weather and not discern the time in which you live. Oh, where is his return, people say. People have waited since the dawn of creation. I mean, think about the Jews. They had the word of God and they could not discern the time of Christ appearing when he was standing in front of them. They had the prophets the Word of God, and the Son of God right there, and they were unable to discern the time of His appearing. They were blind, and there are many blind to discern the day in which we live. I mean, if you read your Bible and you begin to look around this world, do you see the signs? The existence of the nation of Israel who continues to be right at the center of world events. The rise of globalism as the Bible has prophesied. Things every week about digital currencies and digital IDs. All the nations that are involved in the battle of Gog and Magog aligned for the first time sitting in the Middle East together. Incredible revival happening in some places and incredible apostasy happening in other. Do you see the signs? I mean, we could go on and on. The signs are right in front of us and they tell us, are you ready? Be watching, be waiting, be working because the Lord is coming. Just the other week, I saw the opening of the Commonwealth Games. I don't know if you happened to catch that. It was incredibly disturbing. 72 nations of the Commonwealth gathered for their opening ceremonies and they actually enacted and dramatized, you guys, Baal worship. The worship of Baal and Molech. The woman got on the beast and rode the beast. It was like, who writes this stuff? Where does this come from? And, and, and in the meantime, the, the commentator said, oh, this beast symbolizes peace that is coming to the world. And I watched and thought, what is this? Do you see the signs? See, things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. And the signs are telling us the king is coming. And that's exciting. And so servant of the Lord, stay dressed. Be ready. Be ready for action. Keep your lamp burning. And what Jesus says next is so important here at the end of the chapter, verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Simple story from Jesus. To say this, while you have the opportunity, settle out of court. You know, if someone brought a lawsuit against you and you were in the wrong, you'd just be a fool to let that matter get to court, wouldn't you? The, the judge would find you guilty and he would say, you're going to pay. So the wise move is to take the opportunity beforehand and to get the matter settled out of court. Because if it gets to court, Jesus said, you're going to go to prison and you're not going to get out till you pay the very last penny. But I think, well, how can you pay every last penny when you're in prison? And that's the point. There's no way out. And Jesus is telling all who would listen that every man and woman is headed to court. There is a lawsuit against you, and it's from God. It's God's law. And you have no chance of winning. You won't be able to plead innocence on that day. You won't be able to plead your innocence on the argument of ignorance and say, but Jesus, I didn't know better. And if like the commercial fisherman, you did it, you, you did know and you willfully broke his law anyways, Jesus says your punishment will be even more severe. And so he says, as you hear my teaching, you would be very wise to settle this matter outside of court. in church... This is the beauty of the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is what repentance and faith and forgiveness is all about. It's about settling outside a court with Jesus. This is why justification is so important to us, because it means the case against us has been dismissed because someone else has paid the penalty in our place. And it's Jesus. Jesus did it for us. That's what he did one thing is certain, if we should let things go so far as to let the matter get to court, and God has a day set, a time set, we can see the signs of the times. The court day is approaching. And if the matter gets to court, I can only speak to myself for myself. I'll tell you, I'm done for, except for Jesus. Settle the matter out of court, repent before God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and and you will be saved as the word of God declares. It's amazing as Jesus teaches these things and even speaks about settling out of court. He doesn't give any guarantee of peace on earth, but there's this guarantee, you can have peace with God. You can have the peace of God. All your sins forgiven and taken away uh, who could afford to put that off, right? Settle out of court. And so Jesus is teaching all who would hear, you have to be ready. And the truth for each one of us is this, that we might go to him before he comes for us. Either way, you have to be ready. And one of the ways that you can tell that you're ready according to the teaching of Jesus is this, is that you will love the promise of his appearing. Your heart will say, come Lord Jesus, because your heart will be ready for him to come. The matter's already settled. But if the matter's not settled between you and Jesus, your heart won't be able to say, come Lord Jesus. Are you ready? Are you ready? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. Lord, this morning, we just uh, thank you for your word. Lord, it's a sword. It cuts to the heart, it divides and separates things of the flesh and things of the spirit. Lord, would you remove the flesh from our lives? Lord, we pray that you would bring forth a work of your spirit in each one of our lives. Jesus, I just pray for anyone here this morning that needs to settle matters out of court with you. We thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for forgiveness. We thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for us to be right before your Father in heaven. We thank you, Jesus, that though we were lawbreakers, you obeyed every law your Father gave and you went to the cross and you paid the price for our sin. And so Jesus, this morning, we repent of sin. We ask you, Lord, would you forgive us? We pray, Lord, that you would cleanse us and wash us in the blood. We pray, God, that we would be purified from unrighteousness as we place our faith in Jesus. And Jesus, we confess, you're Lord. We believe, Jesus, that God raised you from the dead so that we could settle out of court with our Father in heaven. And so Jesus, we put our faith, and our trust in you this morning. And Lord, we pray that in our hearts, in our hearts, Lord, we would long for your coming. We pray, Jesus, that our hearts would say, come, Lord Jesus, this morning. And so, Father, make us servants, ready, watching, waiting, working, with our lamps burning, we pray, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.